Amen. Y'all let them know how much you appreciate them leading us in worship this morning. Appreciate these guys always coming in extremely early every single Sunday. Not only them, but also the sound booth. Y'all give it up for those guys up there. We hardly ever say anything to them, but uh, so grateful for you. Well, Ephesians chapter 5 in your Bibles this morning. Ephesians 5, if you're a guest of ours, we've been going get, uh, verse by verse through this awesome letter written by Paul the Apostle to the church at Ephesus. Now, as you're opening up your Bible to Ephesians chapter 5, it happened to me not long ago, I was standing with a group of guys kind of hanging out, conversation going on, when it was very apparent to me that somebody in the group really stunk bad. You know what I'm saying? And uh, like literally to the point where you should be ashamed of yourself, you smell so bad. It wasn't body odor, by the way. Uh, Everybody knows what body odor is, right? All right, good deal. If you don't, See James Dollar afterwards. But anyway, so uh, but everybody understands that. So this was a different kind of smell altogether, to say the least, all right? Matter of fact, I kind of uh, would liken it to if you took a, a wet towel, put it into a basement, I don't know, for several days, six or seven, and then just let it sour. You know how it kind of gets putrefied at that point, and then it smells horrible. Uh, ramp that up times 10. That's what somebody smelled like in this conversation. So I'm sitting there, and I'm uh, talking, and I'm praying at the same time, Lord Jesus, free me from this place, right? I can't breathe. This is horrible. You are my deliverer. Amen? All right, so that's my prayer. And uh, then finally the conversation was over, not a minute too soon, because I started holding my breath. I was about to pass out. And so I walked away from the group, but the smell was still with me. And at that moment, I realized something that I did not realize when I was in the conversation. Nobody there stunk except for me. And this is the thing, man, I don't stink. Y'all with me say yes? I smell good all the time. But on this particular day, I had an issue, and I didn't know where it was coming from, so I grabbed my shirt, I pulled it up, and sure enough, it was my shirt. It was one of those dry-fit shirts. Apparently, after about seven or eight years, that thing goes bad. It has an expiration date, and it stunk like nobody's business. That that embarrassed me, to say the least. Matter of fact, uh, since this morning, this is the first time I've ever shared the story, it so deeply scarred me. You understand? And so I share it with you today because what I want you to know is that uh, God actually has a sense of smell. Now, I know that sounds crazy, right? To think that God has a sense of smell, but he really does. God smells things. In fact, in the Old Testament, the book of Jonah to be uh, in particular, uh, what you have is God speaking to Jonah. He says, Jonah, I want you to rise. I want you to get up. I want you to go to this city, city called Nineveh, and I want you to cry out against it because their wickedness has come up before me. And whenever he uses that term, their wickedness has come up before me, it's the, in the Hebrew language, it's actually the, the imagery of smelling something that stinks. And so God smelt the city of Nineveh, and he says, this place smells horrible. Go out and cry out against it. And so Jonah was commanded by God to go and do just that. Now, in our text this morning, Ephesians chapter 5, we also have another instance where we see that God has a sense of smell. Because God the Father describes his own son Jesus' life as a fragrant aroma to him. And so God the Father was smelling the life of his son, and in doing so, he smelt something that was very pleasing. Which kind of leads us to what we're going to talk about this morning. You know, Ephesians chapter 3, we talked about, you know, putting on the new self, looking good. So today in Ephesians chapter 5, we're also going to talk about smelling good and how to smell good to God. So I want to help all of you this morning. God's already helped me through the passage, so I'm going to give you a couple of things. But let's look at it together first. Ephesians 5, verses 1 through 5. You got your Bible? Say amen. All right, stand with me in honor of God's word this morning. Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 1, the scripture says, uh, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, 
And walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us. And offering in a sacrifice to God as a, notice your Bible, a fragrant aroma. But immorality and impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness or silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and also of God. Let's bow together. Father, we thank you for your divine word and what an awesome opportunity once again just to preach it. And so, Lord, I pray that you would use it to wash us clean, make us more like your son, Jesus. Father, we want to smell good. Every one of us want to smell good to you. So I'm trusting that you'll use your word today to show us how to do that, guiding us into the truth. At the same time, Lord, I'm praying for those who are present this morning who do not have a personal relationship with you. Uh, God, they don't have an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. So they need to be born again. They need to be saved. They need to be forgiven. They need a new life. And God, I can't give them that, only you can. So I'm asking that this morning you would do just that by the power of your word in the presence of the Holy Spirit. So use me as you see fit, and we'll give you glory for it. And that's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen. So you go ahead and be seated this morning as we talk about how to smell good. Which, by the way, I remember the first time I ever even heard the phrase smell good. I was just a little guy hanging out at my grandparents' house and my granddad always kept his cologne bottle sitting right by the sink. And so I walked into their bathroom, found the cologne bottle, and uh, I wasn't, you know, I was too young to realize you don't take it uh, uh, for a bath, you take it after a bath. You with me? And so I took it for a bath. Man, I was smelling like nobody's beeswax. And I walked downstairs, and as I did it, my grandma said, oh, my goodness, somebody got into the smell good. Y'all ever talked about cologne being smell good? Well, listen, this morning we're going to talk about how you can smell good to God. And really just two major uh, points this morning right out of our text. But the first thing, I want you to jot it down, all right? Here's how you can smell good. You got to learn to be a copycat of the Lord. You got to be a copycat of God. Now, Ephesians 5 verse 1, the scripture says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Now, as we kind of uh, drop the drill for just a moment down on that verse, what we do is, first of all, look at the first word. It's therefore. You know, in seminary, they teach you whenever you see a therefore, you always ask the question, what is the therefore, therefore? You know, with me? So why is the therefore there? It's because it's pointing back to Ephesians chapter 3 and chapter 4, where Paul the Apostle has described to you and I the importance of taking off our old life and putting on our new life. Taking off, and he uses that imagery, old clothes, and now putting on some new clothes. And he says, since this has occurred in your life, since you have this new life, Life following Jesus, here's what I want you to do. I want you to imitate God. Imitate. Now, when you think about imitate, that's the idea of just copying someone. You know, our kids have all done it, especially when they were young. They used to copy each other whenever we were in the van, right? So eventually we're riding down the road and one of the kids will yell out, hey, would you tell my sister to quit copying me? Y'all ever had this happen before, right? Because they're saying the same thing. They're acting the same. They're just being aggravating is what they're doing. Now, here's the thing. God wants you to copy him. So he says, I want you to be an imitator of the Lord. That's what Paul really is highlighting here. And I love the message paraphrase of this particular verse. It says, watch what God does and then do it. So watch what the Lord does and then get after it. Now, the Bible also tells you and I that we're described as God's beloved children. Now, this magnifies the reality that as followers of Jesus, we are actually objects of God's affection. 
So the moment you cross over the line of unbelief into trusting in Jesus Christ and become a follower of his, it's in that moment that you're adopted into the family of God. And so God is your heavenly father. And the Bible says that he looks at your life and he looks at my life as his children who are beloved. We are objects of his grace and his affection and his overwhelming mercy. So he is loving us. Matter of fact, as I was studying this, I found it to be pretty interesting and want to share it with you. But I want you to know this. God the Father sees you as his son or daughter just as he saw Jesus. Think about Jesus for a moment. Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River. So he was put under, he was brought up. And the Bible says at that moment, a voice from heaven cried out and said, This is my, check it out, beloved son in whom I am well pleased. This is my beloved son. And so God the Father was saying from heaven's throne that his affection was on his son, Jesus Christ. So in the same manner, as the moment you give your heart to Christ, the Father's love and affection is set on you. You know, Jesus even says it in his prayer in John chapter 17 that God the Father loves us just as God the Father loves God the Son. So let that sink into your heart this morning. You and I find true significance in life based upon who loves us. And God the Father loves us tremendously, supremely, and eternally. So that's where we gain our true significance and self-worth in this life. So God loves us just as he loves his own son. Now, his affection towards you, his love towards you, should motivate you to live like him, to emulate him, to copy him. Now think about it, right? If you're a dad in the house and you've got children, listen, because you have uh, love and affection towards them, they may have a desire to actually copy you, to do what you do. That's why so many times you see posters of little children wearing their parents' shoes or their dad's shoes. It's because they want to emulate them. You know, yesterday we're sitting on the couch and Gavin was in the house uh, with me. We're watching a little ball on TV. And as we were doing it, I was drinking a cup of coffee. And so Gavin looks at me and he says, uh, I want to know what that tastes like. Give me some. And by the way, I don't drink it with all the pet in it. You know what I mean? All that stuff in there. I drink it like a real man. Y'all know what I'm talking about? All right, good deal. So yeah, I'm drinking. I'm like, you seriously want some? Yeah, he wants some. So I'm like, yeah, man, go ahead. Take a sip if you want some. And so then he drank it down, big gulp, And then his face basically... It didn't look right for a minute. And he said, you know, this is, I don't know if it's good or bad. He's like, I, it's so ridiculous. But what is he doing? He's copying me. That's what he's doing. He wants to be like me, don't you? You want to be like me? Stand up, brother. I'm just kidding, man. All right. So yeah, but that's the thing, right? But we all, we all do that. I did that with my dad. They do that with me. But here's the thing. When you come to faith in Jesus, you're adopted in the family. So now God is your father. And what should you have a desire to do? You should have a desire to be like him, to copy him, to emulate him. And that really is the picture here this morning. So the question is, how do we do that? Well, he goes on here in verse 2, and he says, you need to walk in love. Now, the word walk is peripateo in the Greek New Testament. It just simply means your everyday behavior. So you are to behave in love. Now, this idea of love here, uh, this is pretty awesome. It speaks of unconditional love. It speaks of expressing yourself towards others in such a way that you put them above your own needs, that you seek after their best interest in mind before you do your own. In fact, when you think about Christian love, I want you to spell love a little differently. Don't spell it L-O-V-E, all right? Here's how you spell Christian love. You don't spell it L-O-V-E, you spell it G-I-V-E. 
That's what happens whenever you genuinely love. You give to others. You give to them. And uh, he gives us an example because he says you need to walk in love. You need to walk in this idea of being uh, a giver, being generous. And our example is Jesus. Now, here's what's awesome about the text. When you first read the, that verse, Ephesians 5, 1, it says, all right, I want you to imitate God. When I, when I read it, the first thing I thought was, how am I supposed to imitate God? I, don't even, I haven't seen him, right? If you're going to copy somebody, you need to see what they're doing in order to copy them. The Bible says God is spirit. The Bible also says that no one can see God and live. So it's like, how am I supposed to God, uh, copy a God that I can't even see? And that's the beauty of Jesus. You know, God the Father sent God the Son to the earth. And Jesus came in flesh to express and to show you and I who God is and what God is like. So that's who Jesus is. Jesus is our primary example. Jesus is God the Father spelling himself out to the world. God the Father wants you and I to know what he's like, so he came in the person of the Lord Jesus. And the Bible teaches us that he gave us an example. And really two primary ways that the Lord Jesus gave us an example. One way is that he gave us an example to live out love by being a servant. The Bible says he didn't come to serve, or rather to be served, but he came to serve. Y'all with me say amen? I just quoted that one wrong. But anyway, so that's how he did. He came to serve. And you watch the life of Jesus, what do you find him doing? Every time you turn around, he's reaching out to somebody. He is serving them. He's healing the blind. He's feeding the hungry. He's coming alongside the brokenhearted. He is serving. He's comforting those who've lost loved ones. He is serving. That's his heart. So he is a servant. So if I'm supposed to copy God, what should I be? Well, I should be a servant. I should be putting others' needs above my own. That's what Jesus did. And then ultimately, we know Jesus not only came as a servant, but Jesus came and actually was a sacrifice. Now, that's what the Scripture teaches us, that he gave himself up for us. And it was the sacrifice of Jesus, which was a fragrant aroma to God the Father. That's what God smelled and said, that smells good. Now, this is interesting to me. Jesus' sacrifice, picture that, is Jesus on the cross, bloody, all right? He's got uh, nails in his hands and his feet, crown of thorns thrust upon his head. He's already been beaten on his back. Blood is flowing from his life. He's unable to catch a breath unless he pushes up on the nails and breathes in just for a moment. That's the picture, and the Bible says that that smelt good to the Lord. Now, that kind of... Uh, Threw me off a little bit. How can that smell good to God? Seeing his own son on the cross. And interesting, Isaiah 53, the Old Testament prophesies of Jesus' death, giving himself up for us, and says that it actually pleased God to crush his own son. So how is this pleasing? Well, this kind of harkens our attention back to the Old Testament sacrificial system. Back in the day, if you and I lived there, we would have to bring animals for sacrifice to the temple for our sins. So we would bring our goats, we would bring our lambs, we would bring our pigeons, we would bring our bulls, uh, we would bring from our house our sugar glider. Y'all with me? We would bring these as offerings to the Lord. And we would say, okay, we're going to offer this up to the Lord because of our sin, because we know that sin costs something. All right, for the wages of sin is that's when you fill in the blank. For the wages of sin is death. So something should die. 
And so that's what we would do. We'd offer those up. Well, the Bible says that God the Father sent his lamb from heaven's throne, Jesus, to actually be a sacrifice for all of our sin. And Jesus' death on the cross at Calvary put an end to the sacrificial system. As Jesus was dying on the cross, what did he shout out? He said, it is finished. It is finished, right? He is dying upon the cross. And that death satisfied the unbelievable just wrath of God, which was inside Father's heart. And here's the reality. All of us deserve death and hell for our sin. But the Bible says Jesus died on the cross for our sin, bearing in his body the punishment which we deserve. So he died for us. And that pleased the just wrath of God, which brought pleasure to him and even smelt good to him. Isn't that wild? Which, by the way, if you entered into the temple of the Old Testament, believe it or not, it would actually smell good there. And the reason it would smell good is because of all of the burnt offerings that were being made. I mean, people are offering up bulls. They're offering up goats and lambs. These are burning on an altar of, the Bible says, incense. There, there it is. I mean, there's the smell coming from there. Some people think about the temple in their lives. No way it smelled good. Have you ever been to Longhorns before? I mean, they're, they're burning meat back there. That's why it smells good. And so that's the same imagery of the Old Testament. And that is a foreshadowing of Jesus' death on the cross. And it smelled good to God. Now, the Bible says, here's what you got to do. I want you, as followers of Jesus, who've taken off the old life, put on the new life, I want you to start being a copycat. I want you to copy God. Do what he did. And I know you can't see him. That's why we have Jesus. Because Jesus came to show us who God the Father really was. So if you want to be just like God, then you offer up your body in service to others, and you offer up your body as a sacrifice for God. Does that sound like Romans 12, doesn't it? Therefore... My brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto the Lord. So here again, we're offering up ourselves to God in service and sacrifice. And this is the idea of offering ourselves up fully from the top of our head to the bottom of our feet. Everything that we are goes over to the Lord. When we live out that kind of life, it smells good to God. So we want to copy God. And that's what this scripture is really teaching. Now, the second thing that we do in order to smell good is not only do we need to make sure that we copy God, but here's the second thing. You got to make sure you're not a pig. Y'all all right? Say yes. Happy Father's Day. Amen. Right, just make sure you don't, you, you don't live a pig kind of life. Uh, don't be a selfish pig. Now, it's interesting here in the text that we've just read together in contrast to Jesus giving up himself for us, you and I are charged to make sure that we don't live a self-absorbed, uh, self-centered, hoggish kind of life. Now, again, you got to look at the contrast, all right? Everybody with me say amen. Now, I want you to see this. Don't miss it. On one side of the ledger, you've got this picture of self-sacrifice, which displays itself in love. You remember how we spell love? G-I-V-E. So we give ourselves to others. That, that's this one picture. But on this other side of the ledger, we've got this idea of not a self-sacrificing life, but a self-absorbed life. And whenever we live a self-absorbed life, we don't express love, we express lust. Now, how do you spell lust? I know you're thinking L-U-S-T, but no, 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 take it like this. Here's how you spell lust. You spell it T-A-K-E. 
So you become a person who is a taking person as opposed to a person who is a giving person. See, when you are generous in giving your service to others, your life to others, that smells good to God. But whenever you are self-centered, you live a lust-filled life, and your main priority is to take from others to uh, basically satisfy yourself. And that's the picture. And so he says, listen, you got to copy God, but don't be a pig. Copy the Lord but don't be self-centered. And notice he says what will happen if you're self-centered. He says, uh, selfish living produces an immoral life. Look at verse 3 in your Bible. Scripture says, but immorality and impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Now, I bought, a, I bought for just a moment. There are two words in that sentence that are synonymous. Uh, the first and the second word is the word immoral and impure. All right, those words mean the same thing. So that's one category. So whenever we live a selfish, uh, ego-driven life and we're trying to take from others, the idea here is that we become immoral. And it leads us to an immoral lifestyle. Immorality and impurity, by the way, both describe sexual sin. So immorality in our text is uh, actually from the Greek word pornea. It's where we get the English word pornogra- uh, pornography. Matter of fact, uh, the stats are staggering in our culture when it comes to pornography. We've got a men's group where we study um, a series called 33. And in in that series, we've got one book called A Man and His Traps. And they just kind of uh, outline some stats concerning pornography in our current culture. Now listen, this is pretty wild. 30% of all web traffic involves pornography. 30% of it. Every second, there's 28,258 hits on a porn website. 20 minutes is the average length of time a person views pornography online. Uh, the, the most watched day of the week for pornography, most watched day of the week is Sunday. Acceptance of looking at pornography is on the rise to 67% of men say viewing porn is acceptable behavior. Listen to this, 70% of men ages 13, or I'm sorry, 18 to 34 visit pornography sites in a typical month. of Christian men, 70% of Christian men say they view porn regularly. And then 20% of men admit to watching pornography at work. Pornography is a $2.84 billion business a year in the United States. Globally, it's $4.9 billion. Think about that. Globally, it's 4.9, but here in the U.S., it's 2.84. It's a shocking reality. The culture in which you and I actually live. The age range of the largest demographic of porn consumer is 12 years old to 17 years old. The average age today of a child seeing pornography for the very first time is 11 years old. Now here's the thing. God says immorality should not even be named among you. That's pretty strong. In other words, if you're a follower of Jesus, pornography shouldn't even be remotely attached to your life. And again, I love that imagery of it being attached to your life because in Ephesians 4, he says, take off the old, take off the old clothes, put on the new as you walk with Jesus. Don't allow pornography to be attached to your life. Don't put it on as an accessory to what you're wearing. You're wearing Christ, man. So you've got to guard yourselves, which by the way, um, just so everybody's aware of this word, immorality is uh, pregnant with meaning. It includes... Um, Individuals who are caught up in living a life outside of the bonds of marriage, seeking to have sex with others, 
living with somebody of the opposite sex before marriage, adultery, prostitution, homosexuality, lesbianism. None of these should be named among followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying, listen, you're a follower of Jesus now, so make sure this isn't attached to your life. Don't live like you don't know God as your dad. This is uh, true. Every single man in the building needs to pay very close attention. Uh, This morning, if you're a father or a husband or a future father or a husband, let me just kind of put it on your heart now. You're going to be the spiritual leader of the home one day. And the enemy is attacking the home through the Internet. And listen, if you're really a spiritual leader, you've got to figure out a way to fight against the enemy. The Bible says the devil is like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So listen closely. The enemy's after you, man. He's coming for your family. So you've got to prepare that house. You, you need to get you a, a filter man that actually cuts off that mess from entering into your house. You've got to guard your, your daughters. You've got to guard your sons. You've got to guard your wife. Love is spelled G-I-V. Lust is spelled T-A-K-E. And that really is kind of the thing, right? Whenever you're selfish, what does it do? Often it leads you to an immoral life. And instead of giving your body up to the Lord as a sacrifice, you give your body up to immorality. Do you see the contrast here? This is what Paul's getting at. He's like, don't live like that, man. You're saved. If you know the Lord, stop living that way. That shouldn't even be named. Don't even let that come into a conversation when it comes to your life. Very strong. Now, y'all still with me? Say amen. Here's the second thing he basically lays out. He says, selfish living also produces a greedy life. A greedy life. Paul mentions that in our verse as well. Now, this is interesting. And you got to listen again because I feel like there's a lot of uh, contrast here. He says, when, in or- when you're immoral and impure... Here's what you're doing. Uh, When you're immoral and impure, you're using people for your selfish gratification. So that could be people online. That could be people you meet somewhere that you shouldn't be hanging out with. Uh, That could be some lady down at the office you shouldn't care on a conversation. This is you using others to satisfy yourself. That's what immorality is and impurity. But at the same time, when you think about greed, greed is you using stuff, not people, but stuff, to try to satisfy your own heart in life. It says, don't be greedy. Matter of fact, you can see it there very clearly as he lays it out. You're seeking after stuff. You're going to find there's an insatiable appetite for what the world deems as valuable. And this sin is ferocious, man. It causes the heart to be discontent with life no matter what. You become envious of what other people have, envious of their husband, their wife, their job, their income, their education, their home, their vehicles, their clothes, their looks. You become jealous, which leads you to become demeaning of others. Your jealousy causes you to make snide remarks about another person who seems to have what you think you deserve. You become competitive with others, desiring to outdo, to have more because you want to be seen as the best or you want to be seen as the most important because somewhere deep down inside you actually think you are. And as I'm studying this in my own life, I'm thinking, all right, Lord, I don't want to live a greedy life, so how can I know if I'm, you know, kind of borderline greedy? And a few things the Lord put on my heart to share with you this morning. Uh, you, you know you're greedy. If you're basically walking around in life with one of those discontent devices, which we call phones, 
discontent devices and you find yourself always on Facebook or Snapchat or Twitter or whatever the case is. And, and listen, now, now check it out. There's nothing necessarily evil in and of itself, but whenever you're looking at it, if you find that after you look at it for a little bit, you feel bad about yourself, and you begin to think, you know, my life stinks. Look at them. Which, by the way, that's really not Facebook. It's fake book. Y'all with me? But when you're looking at it and you start feeling bad about yourself, you know why you feel bad about yourself? Because you became greedy all of a sudden. And at the same time, you know you're greedy. And, and by the way, y'all, y'all listen and say yes. So, so the reason I can share that story with you is because I, I am that story. I've looked on Facebook before and I thought, my word, I wish I had. My goodness. My life stinks. Y'all don't leave me up here by myself like I'm the only one that's ever done this, right? You know why I'm doing that? Because I, I got some greed in my heart. I got to root out. Greed shows up, man, in crazy places, man. It's like the green monster. Y'all with me? And when it grabs hold of your heart, it'll choke life out of it. So we got to watch out for greed. Now, here's another one, right? Uh, you know you got a problem uh, with being greedy if the topic of your conversation always centers around money. If that's what you're talking about all the time. So it's like you're always talking about how much money you have or how much money you don't have or how much money they have, how much money you wish you had. If that's the subject of your conversation, you've got a greed problem. That's sin. The Lord's like, yeah, that shouldn't even be named. Don't even let that be attached to your life. And here's another one, all right? Self, selfish living produces a depreciating life. A depreciating life. When, when you think of depreciating, what do you think of? I think of a car, right? So if you buy a new car, as soon as you go off the lot, what happens to its value? It depreciates. It doesn't appreciate, it depreciates. So here, whenever you live a selfish, greedy kind of life, it leads you to begin subtracting value from those who are around you. Depreciating them and how you treat them, how you talk about them. And I think that's why he lays it out here. He's like, that's why you need to have no... Uh, Verse 4, no filthiness, silly talk, coarse jesting. They're not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. So coarse, coarse talk, filthy talk, what is this? It describes conversation that's obscene. Uh, uh, this can be used, uh, to, this is why we use, by the way, the word obscenity. It's, it's words that are used uh, that are crude, that are cursing kinds of language. Listen, cussing. Look at, look at everybody I bought. Y'all, y'all with me say yes? Uh, some of you men, I'm just going to talk to you men today, all right? Some of you men, y'all just cuss all the time. You need to stop doing that. Like, that's not copying God. H- how are you going to teach your son to pray if all you're doing is cussing around the house? That makes zero sense whatsoever. So you got to lay down the cuss words, man. you got to lay down the crude talking, all right, so you can teach your kids how to actually live. Because as you copy God, they're copying you. I think that's why Paul says, uh, which I love it, right? I always thought it was kind of a cocky statement from Paul. When he said, follow me as I follow Christ, I was like, good, not who's Paul think he is? That sounds a little cocky, doesn't it? But the reality is he knows he's following the Lord, and he wants others to follow the Lord. You as a uh, father should be able to say to your sons and your daughters, follow me as I follow the Lord. And that shows up in your speech. He says, uh, silly talk, coarse jesting. Silly talk, by the way, just moronic conversations based upon speculation. Coarse jesting is vulgar speech, perverted speech, explicit references to sex. Listen, if you've got a perverted mouth, you need, to, you, need to rip, you need to wash it out. Y'all down? I'm up here preaching. Are y'all listening to the preacher? Straight up, some of you men, you come to church every single Sunday, but you talk like a pervert through Monday, so, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Stop it. 
That doesn't reflect the Lord. You're not copying God. You're copying this world system. And it doesn't, you know, lead anybody to faith in Jesus. So all of this talk that he's laying down, he's like, none of this adds value to anybody, right? He says, you need to live a life of thanksgiving. Now, I think that means thanksgiving to God, but I also think that means that you live not a depreciating life, but one that appreciates. So it appreciates not only the Lord, but it appreciates those who are around you. So you're building them up. You're edifying them. And again, that goes right back to Ephesians chapter 4 when he says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only that which is fitting to edify those in the body, to build them up. So it's all about our speech as well. It's pretty wild, isn't it? So you kind of have that contrast, don't you? You got a contrast between living a you know, self-sacrificing life, G-I-V-E, giving, generous, loving, or you, you've got this life that is self-centered and it's uh, driven by L-U-S-T, lust, which is taking from others, and you take from them through immorality, impurity, greed, selfish talk, coarse jesting. This is how you take instead of give. And every person in the house is living on one side. You're either living a self-centered life or a life of self-sacrifice. Now, i got to end it with this statement, all right? And everybody pay close attention because it's based upon uh, verse 5. But uh, selfish people, which we've been talking about, right? Selfish people will be by themselves in hell. Selfish people will be by themselves in hell. You know, I've shared the gospel with people before, and they're like, I'm going to hell. I'm going to be down there with all my friends. No, you ain't. They might all be down there, but you're not going to be with them. You'd be by your lonesome. Uh, you want to be self-centered? God's like, here you go. You can have a self-centered life for all of eternity in hell. You'd be by yourself. You love yourself so much, and Paul even describes it as idolatrous behavior. You're not worshiping God. Who are you worshiping? You're worshiping yourself. It's like, you want to worship yourself? Here you are, by yourself, in hell, forever. And by the way, God's a perfect gentleman. He's not going to force himself upon you. Verse 5. Y'all are with me? Say yes. Y'all love Father's Day, don't you? You're like, good night, I love Father's Day. Preach it, Levi. I know some of y'all are like, I was, I was hoping to go out of here with the, you know, goosebumps. You're not going to. <laughs> I'm terribly sorry. Right, because of the text. The text drives the preaching. The preaching doesn't drive the text. All right. Verse 5, the scripture says, For this you know with certainty. All right, certainty. That's pretty, that means you know for certainty. That no immoral or impure person or covetous man, it's another way of saying greedy, who is an idolater, there it is, has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. So, so what does this mean? This means they, they won't go to heaven. They don't know the Lord. That's why they're living this way. And you, you, this, this means uh, they have no estate, no home, no legacy in the eternal presence of God. And why is that? Because they've, they've not been born again. They don't have a birthright. They, they can't call God their father because they haven't been adopted. So they're living a selfish life. They're living a life centered around what they want, what they can take, what they can get. That's what drives them. And the Bible says they have no motivation from the Spirit of God to live as Jesus lived. Listen, unselfishly giving his life to the Father and to the service of others is what Jesus did. And if that doesn't describe your life, it's because you're not copying him, because you don't know him. You're not following him. And uh, be careful that you don't assume that this is talking about people who don't attend church services. Are y'all with me? Say yes. Don't assume this is talking about people who don't go to church. This letter is written to a church in Ephesus. 
You can be a faithful churchgoer, but be one breath away from hell. Hell is reserved for those who have not turned from their sin and trusted Jesus Christ as Lord. God the Father gave up His Son on the cross at Calvary for your life. And if you reject that, then you're going to be rejected by God. And the Father will send you to hell. That's what God will do. Jesus even said to uh, the religious people, He's like, you do well to clean the outside of the cup, but inside of the cup you're filled with sin. And that's the thing. You can come to church and be all kind of uh, churchied up and shinied up on the outside and have your little Christian mask on. But God's not looking at the outward appearance. He's looking at your heart. And he knows what's going down inside of you. He knows whether or not you have a genuine relationship. And if you don't, uh, as he says, you'll have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ because Jesus doesn't reign in your heart today. And that's, that's wild, isn't it? I mean, there are people even listening to this sermon who are one heartbeat away from hell. Here's, here's the crazy thing, right? So we read our Bibles, all of us. I think, you know, if we're followers of Jesus, we read our Bibles. And in here, man, we got all this stuff about Jesus talking about hell coming for those who don't respond by faith to him. The book of Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, all the way through. Hell's everywhere. Because, you know, sometimes people get ill when they're like, well, he's a hellfire brimstone. It's all up in here. I cannot be faithful to the text and not tell you hell exists. And if you're a follower of Jesus and hell doesn't bother you, you've got a problem. Listen, if we, re if we really believe what this book says, we'd be warning people. If we really believed it. So some are like, I believe there's a hell, but you ain't told a soul how to get out. I believe there's hell. I believe God's going to judge. But you haven't warned one single person. And that was, uh, you know, Charles Spurgeon that said, you have no desire to see people saved. Know this, you're not saved yourself. So I'm all fired up you're in church this morning, Right? But here's the reality. I'm trying to warn some of you. Some of you are in church, but you're not in Christ. And today we're the last day that today will be the first day that you have in hell. Paul doesn't want that. God doesn't want it. The only reason you're not there now is because he's patient and gracious. The only reason he hasn't opened up the very floor you're sitting on and let you plummet to hell is because he is loving, patient, and gracious. And he's like, if you will respond, I'll put my affection on you. Let's pray. Father, speak to hearts as you see fit. We'll give you glory. Nobody looking around. Nobody moving around. You can't preach like this and not give people an opportunity to respond. So if you're here today and you've not given your heart to Jesus right where you are, you can pray out loud to the Lord. Just say, Lord, I'm a sinner. Just, just tell him. Say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I need forgiveness. Today, I understand that Jesus died for me. And I understand that Jesus was raised from the dead. And so today, I'm embracing Jesus. Giving my life to him. Cleanse me, give me a new life, and help me to be unashamed of my decision this morning. Your head's bowed, your eyes closed, nobody's looking around today. But if you say, Levi, man, that was my prayer. I just prayed with you and gave my life to Christ. Here's what I'd invite you to do, all right? I'm not going to embarrass you, but you say, Levi, that was me. Man, I just prayed with you. You might be a guest of ours, and you just prayed with me to give your life to the Lord. 
And listen, I, I want to pray for you. So here's what I want you to do. I just want you to look up and make eye contact with me for a second. You say, Levi, I just prayed with you and gave my life to Jesus. Look real hard at me for a moment. It takes me a minute to get through. God bless you guys. Y'all looking at me, man? Pump for you. Keep looking, keep looking. And I'm going to pray for you. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for these who responded. Pray that you continue to work in their hearts and lives. And give them courage to be open and tell others about their decision to follow you. And with your heads bowed, your eyes closed, if that's the prayer of your heart and you just gave your life to Jesus, first step of obedience is baptism. We just saw that go down. And so um, if you need to be baptized, we'd love to set you up an opportunity to do just that. So. In just a moment, when we stand to our feet for a time of invitation, I'm going to invite you to come. You come forward. I'll be here in the front, others as well. We want to pray for you, set you up an opportunity to be baptized in the days ahead. Or God may be calling you to join this church body. You'd be obedient to him. Uh, Father, uh, sometimes we run across strong texts of Scripture that sober up our minds and hearts, but at the same time challenge us to make sure we're living not a selfish life, but a life that is actually sacrificial. Help us to do that faithfully. Because God, we do. We want to be like Jesus, a fragrant aroma in your presence. Now have your way with the invitation, and we'll give you glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand to our feet. While we sing, you come this morning if God's calling you.